On our program today, we have a couple of segments, and we're going to start with uh, Mike Sanders. He's the director of the state broadband office, and some big news announced uh, by the office this last week. So, uh, Mike, thanks for spending some time with us and uh, sharing the good news uh, for Oklahomans who are needing broadband service. Well, I appreciate that, George. And, and, and yes, we had a great week last week and very exciting and, and, and really, quite frankly, very historic. And I'm excited to visit with you and, and all your listeners there. So this is just, and this is just the first part of a, a long-term uh, process to get broadband service and high-speed internet to uh, rural parts of, of Oklahoma that don't they don't don't even have internet service yet. Exactly, that have never had high-speed internet. And and George, what 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 we did last week was a great first step. Uh, this has been a long time coming. Uh, I think one of the things that I'm most proud about is not only the work that our team uh, did on this particular first phase, but the fact that we touched 57 counties. We're going to have a project in 57 of the 77 counties. Uh, We had a total of 142 uh, high-speed Internet projects sprinkled uh, completely around uh, the state's and had such a diverse group of, of companies that will be participating in helping all of us close that digital divide. I, I really could not be happier uh, with, with the end results. And, and quite frankly, uh, the folks of, uh, of Oklahoma are the real winners in this process. And uh, I'm just excited to be where we are. And, and uh, as, as we move forward, again, keep in mind that this is only – Phase one. We still have a few more phases to uh, tackle over the next uh, couple of years. So great things are coming. So we're talking about uh, this initial phase, about 55,000 Oklahoma homes or businesses uh, that will be upgraded. And uh, what about 30 contractors have been approved to, uh, to start these projects? Correct. We, we actually have 31. Uh, 31 uh, companies that were awarded to take care of those locations and, 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 and a better way to break down those 55,000 locations, because some people assume that's just 55,000 people. But no, actually, it's about 120, 125,000 Oklahomans all in total. And when you think about that and look at that, our overall uh, number in Oklahoma, that folks that are unserved and underserved, that's nearly a quarter, nearly a quarter of Oklahomans who have never had high-speed Internet will be taken off the board in this first phase. That's something to be very uh, very excited about and something we all should celebrate. Sure. I mean, there's, uh, I don't know, what's the average household in Oklahoma these days? You know, four or five probably, and, you know, some are yep. more, some are less. But still, uh, you're going to have your, your school kids that, uh, you know, have some, have, sometimes have remote learning that will be able to, uh, you know, be able to do that uh when, when it's all said and done. That's exactly right. And, and, and on top of the educational piece is the health care piece. This is going to expand telemedicine. Uh, folks that are in Caddo County or Grady County or, or Comanche or Garvin and, and, and throughout your listening area, instead of being in the car four to five hours to get to a specialist doctor in Oklahoma City or Wichita Falls or Amarillo, they're going to be able to go to their provider in those particular communities and send that electronically. 
uh, and get and, and get it there quickly. Uh, so I'm really happy about that. You know, the economic development piece. I cannot say enough about that. Uh, tourism, as we all know, is is the third leading economic driver in this state when it comes to uh, you know budget issues. So we have a wonderful opportunity to change the trajectory, if you will, of of of, of how people live, how people do business how people handle their medical issues, education. I mean, I can go on and on and on. How did you select the uh, the vendors that's going to be doing the work? That is a great question, George. And and, and what we had, and, and for all of our listeners out there, I just want them all to know that this was, a, this was the fairest and most transparent way that we did this. It was a competitive application process, and all of these scores – uh, believe it or not, had what we called an ARPA number. So we we, we scored all of these projects uh, blindly. So nobody knew what company was which. All we knew is that these particular companies wanted to go to, you know, Stevens County, or they wanted to go to McLean County or, or Grady County, whatever, um, and wanted to serve those unserved and underserved. I mean, we, we it was a very objective selection process and um we we nailed it and and that's how the process worked and when you look at when you look at the number of of, of types of companies we we had uh, six electric co-ops we had nine rural telephone companies uh we even had some uh, uh fixed wireless companies uh, we had two investor owned companies and then we had eight family owned so uh when you look at the diversity of the companies that participated in this, but also the ones that were selected, um, it was a great mix of fine, fine Oklahoma companies. I don't know if you've got the particular breakdown for some of the region, but uh, uh, I was able to go through the uh, uh, the list uh, that your staff was uh, provided to me. But uh, for Grady County, we're looking at about 500 locations with uh, uh, Southern Plains Cable. That was uh, one of the vendors, right? Correct. Correct. Then we have a group called uh, AMG Oklahoma ISP. They're going to serve about 82 locations. And then Dobson Fiber is going to serve about 370 locations uh, throughout. That's just Grady County alone. That, and, 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 you, and you look at that, I mean, that's four projects, nearly, nearly $8 million worth of investments, nearly 900 locations, and, and, and I'll tell you, when you start putting fiber in the ground or you start using, you know, wireless uh, technology, it is not cheap. Uh, but putting fiber in the ground obviously is what we call the gold standard. It will last longer. Uh, the up, the upkeep and maintenance uh, will last longer, and it won't be as, um, you know, timely and costly in, in a few years. I mean, the, the, the life of a project using fiber may be 25 to 30 years. So we're really excited about that, and, and those folks that are going to be served in Grady County uh, for this first batch, uh, they should be really, really excited about that. And the good news, George, is we still have um, three more opportunities for those uh, unserved folks in those particular counties, especially Grady, uh, that will have opportunity to be served. So we're, we're looking forward to that. Uh, Caddo County is uh, going to have about 120 locations uh, we've got Southern Plains Cable getting a bid on one project, and AMG Oklahoma another there in Caddo County. Correct, correct, and 
And then you you look at uh, Comanche County. Um, you know, we, we have the Oklahoma Fiber Network, Southern Plains, Resound Networks, so just to name a few. Stevens County, uh, we've got a few more new companies, Atlink, Resound. Uh, they're, they're participating in that. Uh, we also look at uh, Garvin County. Dobson has a, has a project there. And, and McLean County, we have AMG, which we've mentioned before, and then Cox Communications. They, uh, they plan on uh, participating uh, in there. When you look at all of the surrounding areas that, that, that uh, your listeners uh, are living in, you have 18 projects. You've got nearly $35 million worth of investment. Private investment will go on top of that, and that's nearly $9 million. Uh, over 7,000 Oklahomans right in your listening area will be taken care of within two years of, uh, of this. So it's going to take a little bit of time, but within two years, all of these projects will not only be built, but they will be operational. So when do they start? I mean, it's going to take a while to get to all the lines running and everything. That's one of, the, one of the first projects that's supposed to get started. Well, the first thing we have to do is, uh, is make sure that all of our companies sign a grant agreement. Um, obviously, to make sure that they can do the work, and, and we anticipate that uh, all of that information coming back to us tomorrow. Uh, as soon as the grant agreement is signed and a risk assessment is done, then we're going to be able to put shovels in the ground. Uh, so I hope uh, within the next uh, 30 to 45 days, uh, we will have a lot of red spools uh, out uh out in your listening area, uh, and uh, a lot of our ditch witch diggers out there uh, digging trenches because that's progress. And uh, we're, we're anticipating all of these projects to be done within two years, but many of these projects, George, will be done uh, within, you know, 14 to 16 months, uh, which, is, which is really exciting. Let me ask this. So how can, how can a, a household or business know if they're in one of these uh, areas? Because the, they're going to – how will they find out? They can absolutely check our website uh, here at the Oklahoma Broadband Office, uh, broadband.ok.gov, and they will be able to look at a map. And what our map will have on it will not only the, the, the location – they will have the company, the number of, of people that it will serve, but, and this is something your listeners will definitely want to keep up with, is an activity map, meaning that as we start these projects, as we uh, uh, go through the construction phase, as we go through other federal programs not associated with our office but with other entities, we're going to overlay all of those particular uh, projects on our map because there's other programs out there, they're going to see specifically where in their county where these actual projects are. And all that will be up on our website as soon as the grant agreements are, 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 are sent to our office and uh, the risk assessments are done. Uh, we're going to be able to put all of that information for, for everyone to see in the exact location. So uh, that will be coming up soon. And so we'll definitely pass that word along, and we'll keep updated on that. So 
uh, we'll definitely be getting a hold of you to uh, talk about some of these projects when they get started. So let's. Uh, what about to, when will the next round of projects be awarded? How far away are we from that? Well, George, I, I am a optimist, and, and, and my hope is uh, within the next couple of months, um, what, we, what we call this particular pot of money is our capital funds project, and it, too, is part of our ARPA, um, our ARPA pot of money. It's about $159 million that uh, we look to, to uh, deploy. Uh, obviously, dealing with a federal grant program, we have to abide by their rules and their guidelines. So the Department of Treasury in Washington uh, will be the ones that once we get the green light from them, we can start the application process, we can start the challenge process, and then we can start the awarding uh, process, very similarly of what we did this, this past week. Uh, our hope is that we will have projects to announce uh, within the next few months. Uh, you know, my hope uh, is, is, is by May, early, early June at the latest. Um, but again, George, you know this as well as anyone, that, uh, you know, sometimes Washington doesn't move as quickly as you and I would like, uh, and we're dealing with the federal government. So uh, we're waiting upon their green light. As soon as they give us the green light, we're going to be lightning quick here in Oklahoma because we want these projects to get out. We want the jobs to be filled, and, and we want these projects completed within two years. Yeah, certainly a big economic boost for sure with the uh, millions of dollars, a lot of, a lot of jobs uh, with, these, uh, with these installations, all that work that's going to be going on over the next couple of years, several years actually. Absolutely. We, we, we expect these projects uh, with, with the two ARPA uh, pots, uh, then with our bead pot of money, which will be coming out uh, in mid-2025, um, you know, that's our largest pot of money. That's nearly $800 million. And the, the, the money is actually going to be turned over six, seven times because, and, and what I mean by that is, to your point, you're going to have these contractors who are going to be staying in these uh, areas. They're going to be staying in these local communities. Uh, you, you look at the, 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 the gas that's going to have to be purchased, some materials, food, uh, hotel. Uh, you know, this is an economic uh, opportunity uh, for so many of our rural communities uh, that that I, I can't even describe what what a what a what a shot in the arm this is going to be over the next several years. Mike, give us your uh, website address again, so uh, folks can uh, go there uh, frequently. I'm sure just to find out to, to get updates on their projects. Absolutely, it's broadband dot. OK.gov. That's easy Broad enough. Yep. Yeah, broadband.ok.gov. Pretty simple. All right. Mike Sanders, Executive Director of the Oklahoma Broadband Office. Thanks for joining us, Mike. We appreciate it. I appreciate it, George. Look forward to talking to you again. Our next guest today is State Representative John Eccles of Oklahoma City. He's the Majority Leader in the State House of Representatives. And uh, Representative Eccles, it's good to have you on the program. It is so great to be on the program. Thank you so much for inviting me. Happy to talk about a lot of things. You know, we've got uh, we just had the special session uh, that was this week. We've got the regular legislative session that starts next week. So I guess let's talk about what happened this week with the special session the governor called. Absolutely, yeah. So this week, the House of Representatives came in. Uh, the governor called for a 0.25% tax cut. 
The House came in and delivered it. We did what we said what we were going to do, answered the call. Uh, the House's position has always been the people deserve money back. I mean, we have $4.2 billion, or I'm sorry, $4.7 billion in savings from a conservative estimate. Eventually, my citizens are asking me exactly how much of my money are you going to take away from me? Uh, so we got that delivered. Now, I think our friends in the Senate have said they are not going to consider that till after February 15th when budget numbers come out. And I sure hope on February 15th after that they do something for the citizens. This has been an ongoing issue for the last uh, two or three years. <laughs> it absolutely has. You know, the, the, it's not just about the tax cut. This has been an ongoing issue. We have, when I took over as floor leader, I've been floor leader for eight years. The uh, state savings was a dollar, one dollar. So it might have been a dollar fifty-eight, but it was basically nothing. Through good, sound fiscal policy, we've moved that number to four point eight billion. And if you count some of the things the governor counts, five point seven billion. Uh, suffice it to say, a lot of money. Our total appropriatable budget's only about eleven billion. We're talking upwards of fifty percent of the total budget is in savings, which is great. That's wonderful fiscal policy. But about two or three years ago, the House started saying, we need to give some of that money back to the citizens, because our philosophy is it's their money, not ours. So I'm hoping we can get some type of an agreement this year. And i got to tell you, George, elections have a way of making politicians pay attention to what their constituents think, and they're coming. And I think they're going to be real mad if we don't do anything for them. So what was the hurry? Why not wait till the, the real numbers come in in a couple of weeks? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the hurry was, if you look at the House bill, had it been passed, you would have got your tax cut, if you're a listener right now, you would have gotten your tax cut on your 2023 taxes. So those taxes you're looking to file, the House thinks we should have already done this, and you should have had this done in time. Now, unfortunately, because we delayed, it looks like it's not going to be whatever we do till the 2024 year. So the hurry, I think, just comes down to philosophy. When you already have $4.5 billion in savings, the, the philosophy is, from the House's perspective, it's your money, not the, not the government's, and then the government takes as little as possible to still fund core services. There's another philosophy that says all money is the government's, and the government will just let you know how much you get to keep. And we don't buy into that philosophy. With this level of savings, we should yes, we should have came in last week, but honestly, we should have done it last session. This should have been already been over. And there's also discussion too that uh, maybe that uh, the the uh, income tax cut is not very beneficial for uh, lower income families. Absolutely. So if we want to have that discussion, which I think is fair, I think that the issue then becomes well, how do we want to give citizens back money? I think the income tax cuts the best way. However. The House has passed a plan that is sitting over in the Senate right now that gets rid of the lower two tax brackets. What a lot of people don't know is 4.2, the top marginal rate, four, I'm sorry, 4.75, starts at about $12,000 a year. We've sent a plan over that's sitting in the Senate that just gets rid of taxes up to that number, which is totally beneficial for low-income people. We've also sent a cut to the sales tax on groceries, which is sitting over in the Senate right now. The philosophy the House has taken is we think the citizens deserve some of their money back with this level of savings. And so far, the answer has just been a resounding no. So uh, I think for the citizens, when they say, 
I don't want a 0.25% tax cut. That's a really good point. But for the legislature to say that's why they know, that's, uh, well, my mom would call that malarkey um, because there are other plans sitting there ready to go. The real debate that's going on right now that the citizens need to know is are they entitled to anything? Because the House is saying we think you should get some money back. We're open as to how you get it. What are you expecting the governor's state of the state address next week? <laughs> well, I expect a couple things. Uh, tax cuts are not the only issue that face the state of Oklahoma. Now, is that going to get a lot of the issue air? Absolutely. But in talking with the governor, I think we're going to be hearing a lot of business uh, business stuff. He is talking about the possibility of creating business courts. I think he's going to be talking a lot about supporting law enforcement. Um, I've got a bill. I hope he talks about updating our trust statutes, making it more friendly for individuals and businesses. I think those are going to be the key issues that are going to dominate this legislative session um, next year. And I, I think we're going to be focused on, yes, on taxes, but I don't think taxes will be like education was last year, where it felt like that sucked all the oxygen out of the room. I think taxes will be a big issue, but we also will be talking about quality of life issues in the state of the state. You mentioned education, and uh, let's talk about the embarrassment uh, with the State Department of Education, the most recent one anyway, regarding uh, sending out some some of these bonus checks that uh, some teachers weren't supposed to get. Now they want them to pay them back. Boy, that, I, can you imagine getting a can you imagine getting a fifty thousand dollar bonus, and then finding out six months later they want you to return it after you've already paid taxes? By the way, on that amount, I don't have that amount of money. I, I could never pay that. The reality is, if these teachers follow the rules, which it looks like it is, um, that money was paid out. We need to figure out why it was paid out. But clawing that money back from hardworking Oklahoma teacher is just not a good idea. And I don't think the House is going to let that happen. And, you know, your listeners are going to be real familiar with their members. You know, Dick Lowe and Brad Bowles here in the House, who are some absolute incredible individuals you send, uh, They'd run me out as floor leader if I didn't do something to stop that. I mean, we're, we're just not going to let that clawback happen on the legislative side. Uh, what, what we do need to do is look into how that happened. So if these teachers were given something they didn't qualify for, why? What was the holdup? What was the problem inside the State Department of Education that made that occur? But, I mean, I could imagine in my own business. I, I give an employee a bonus that they're not entitled to and come back six months later and ask for the money back, they're not going to have it. No different than you or I wouldn't have that amount of money. You wanted to talk a little bit in detail about it. Just, I know you've probably got several bills submitted to, for consideration, but one specifically, uh, is it House Bill 2511? It is. Is this dealing with uh, the stuff I'm doing to try to stop underage vaping? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of this one, and thank you for asking about it. As we know, underage vaping inside Oklahoma is just an absolute epidemic. I mean, talk about something we're top ten in that we don't want to be, and that is our teenagers, our young people, vaping. And what is going on right now, and by the way, I'm a libertarian-minded Republican. For the most part, if you're an adult, do whatever you want. That's okay with me. It's not government's job to stop you. But when everybody's playing by the rules except for a few bad actors, that's where government should step in. So I'm filing a bill to add some teeth into the legislation we passed a few years ago to crack down on these illegal, mostly Chinese vapes, which, by the way, are illegal to smoke in China, where they're manufactured. 
so what do they do? They ship them over here, and a lot of these are targeting kids. I mean, I can show you vapes that they're making right now that are made to look like a highlighter. Well, that's not targeting adult use. That's targeting our teenagers. And anyone that has a kid in high school right now or a kid in college knows it is an absolute epidemic that we've got to get our hands around. So uh, talk about uh, the enforcement part that you're going to try to get through this, this session. So right now, with the registry already exists. We've been working on this issue for about three years, so everybody knew this was coming. So the registry is what now? So the registry is, we have created a registry where legal manufactured vape products are kept in a registry by ABLE, and that, that way, if I'm, a, if I'm a vape store, I know if I'm buying a legal product. The problem is there's no enforcement mechanism in order to stop that if you're selling an illegal product. What this does is add some teeth in there and gives more ability to enforcement. So it's not just, hey, we know you're doing something illegal. Now we can go do something about it. And that's the goal. Um, it really, it's pretty common sense legislation. It's shocking that it hasn't already been done. Um, but sometimes common sense in that building is what takes the longest to actually get done. <laughs> so I'm I'm hoping we roll this through pretty quick and we see a decrease, especially in our youth vaping. Well, it's a, the, the sifting out process is always tough. And, uh, you, between the House and the Senate, what, up some 2,000 pieces of legislation uh, introduced, and over the next several weeks, that's going to be whittled down substantially. That's right. So as House floor leader, I've, I've been House floor leader for eight years. I'm, I'm actually the longest-serving floor leader in state history, um, and what that gets me is a bald head. I was I had a full head of hair before I had this stressful job, but what? <laughs> but 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 that's my job. I sift through all that legislation, and one of the things I tell people there'll be between two and three thousand pieces of legislation filed, but only between one and two hundred pieces will get signed by the governor. So that sifting process, and it should be. By the way, I'm a small government conservative. That that should take a long amount of time. Every time we pass a law, that is one adult, that is a group of adults telling another group of adults what to do. That should be hard. That shouldn't be easy. But <laughs> the process is hard, and because it's, it's, it's set up to kill, not pass bills, sometimes some good bills get killed. And, and you even seen, you know, sometimes the House and the Senate don't get along. And my, my, my good friend, the pro tem of the Senate, Greg Tree, who we argue with sometime, but he is a good and decent man. He has a great line which says, a little bit of friction is good for democracy. So a little bit of friction is a good thing, but hopefully we don't get so crossways with each other the train runs off the rails. Citizens don't need that. There's a proposal, I guess the state Supreme Court's going to take a look at this uh, petition uh, that's been brought forth to raise Oklahoma's minimum wage to $15. Where do you stand on that, and uh, is that a possibility, uh, I guess it's up to the Supreme Court, obviously, but what's your stand on increasing the minimum wage in Oklahoma? Yeah, I'm not against I'm not against looking at the ability to increase the minimum wage, but increasing it to $15 million, 15, I'm sorry, to $15, and tying it to a national inflationary number. Not an Oklahoma inflationary number, a national inflationary number. It's not, just not a good sought-out policy. It's going to fail on the ballot if they don't change something this is an out-of-state group that instead of actually writing good policy for Oklahoma, because they're an out-of-state group, they just used a national template. Now, do we need to deal with the fact that wages are not keeping up with inflation? 
absolutely. Like, that issue needs to be dealt with. By the way, it also goes back to what I said earlier. Um, one of the ways we wanted to deal with in the House is issue re- refund checks to citizens. Um, this all ties in there together. But, no, I mean, I think that initiative petition is going nowhere, and I think it's a bad idea. So you're in your, your last year as a state representative, right, uh, 12 years? I, so, I am. Yeah, yeah no, I, 12 years. I'm done in the House. So what is your, what do you think your legacy is going to be as the longest-serving uh, House Majority Leader? Yeah, that's a gr- so it, when you're when you're in the arena, you don't spend a lot of time thinking about your legacy, and and I still I still don't now because I'm moving so fast. I think I've done a lot of great things, making this job way more transparent. Um, I instituted daily agendas. I let people know what's coming. Um, I got rid of the shell bill transfers at the very end. I, I think transparency, I hope, is one of the things I get known for. And I hope my legacy is that of honesty and integrity. I mean, I think I hopefully I've done it the right way. I've told people where I stood, and that's why I keep winning my elections by larger numbers. So I'm proud of what we've done over eight years. We've increased education funding during my seven years as leader, more than the 29 years combined prior to that. We've lowered our state's incarceration rate while still supporting our state's law enforcement. We've moved from no savings to record savings. But, you know, a legacy is, that's not really up to you, right? That's, that's for other people to think about. And when I'm all done, I'll probably spend some more time thinking about it. Right now, what I want to do is finish strong this last year, doing good for the citizens of the state of Oklahoma. Any aspirations for running for other state offices later? <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's a great question. Um, I've, I've never going uh, I've, I've to put that out of the realm of possibility. I love serving the citizens of this state. Um, but I also have an incredible wife. I married my high school sweetheart, Kristen Eccles, and we have three great kids. Um, and she supports whatever we want to do. But I think there's a chance, given the right position, I'm never going to be somebody that runs for office just to have an office. My my family's too important to me. Uh, but there are a couple. There's one office in particular I could be interested in, but it would need to be open. It's got an incumbent right now that's doing a phenomenal job. And if he runs again then I'd support him. But if Attorney General came open, I definitely would have to look at it. But that's about all I'd be interested in. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not big on having an office. I'm big on helping people. So it has to be something for me to do in the future where I really feel like I'm making a difference. If not, I need to be at home with my beautiful wife and three incredible kids. Representative John Eccles of Oklahoma City, the majority leader in the State House of Representatives, thanks for your time today. We appreciate it. Have a great session. Thanks for having us on. I appreciate all you do, sir.